Welcome to the New Day Community Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you're encouraged by this message from the Kalamazoo, Michigan campus. For more info on the church, visit newdaycommunity.org. Glad to be here, glad to be back uh, ministering here and continuing our year-long series on spiritual growth. We're in the upward journey part. We began the year with the inward journey. This this middle section is the upward journey, and then the last uh, third of the year we'll be talking about the outward journey. So kind of using that uh, journey illustration to talk and speak into our spiritual growth or developing ourselves spiritually uh, in different ways. The upward journey is about getting to know God better, growing in our journey toward Him or closer to Him. And uh, we understand how this affects us, it affects our spiritual growth, from the scripture in 2 Corinthians 3.18. It says, all of us who have had the veil removed, and as I mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, this veil being removed that he's talking about was the veil that the uh, Jewish people under the Old Testament, uh, they describe, you know, they had God's word, but they weren't able to see the real meaning because it was as if they had a veil over their eyes. And when we come to Christ, that veil is removed. So all of us who have had the veil removed can see and reflect the glory of the Lord. Uh, And the Lord, who is the Spirit, makes us more and more like Him as we are changed into His glorious image. And so this process of being changed into the image of God or becoming more like God is primarily just seeing God and reflecting His glory. And when when we behold Him... We become like him. And so that's why we're taking time in in the summer here to look at the attributes of God, the different characteristics of God, uh, to get to know him better so that we can reflect him and that we can become more like him. And ultimately that is spiritual growth. Um, Right. (laughs) Today we're going to examine three of the primary uh, attributes of, of God. His omnipotence, his omnipresence, and his omniscience the omnis of God, and um, that means I have a lot to talk through, and I'm going to try to stay on track. If I start wandering, uh, throw something at me, (laughs) something soft, all right? The omnipotence uh, is God, God is all-powerful, okay? Omnipotent, all-powerful, that's simply what it means. Omnipresent uh, simply means that God is all-present, he's present everywhere, and then omniscience, is he is all-knowing. He knows all things. So uh, really, they're simple. Like, I just described those three things in in three short statements. Uh, So it's simple, but at the same time, it's incomprehensible. All right? It's a basic idea, but it's, it's it's really impossible to fully understand what is meant by that because it's so different from everything that we are and everything that we know. Uh, you know, it's, 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 how do you describe infinity? You know, there's no way you can describe it. You know, it goes on and on forever. But that doesn't make any sense because we can't imagine forever. You know, <clears throat> um, kind of getting your brain around these ideas is, is difficult. But these three attributes, particularly... Are, are the absolute essentials of, in order for God to be God, he has to be omnipotent, he has to be uh, omnipresent, and he has to be omniscient. And if you take away any of them or reduce any of them, diminish any of them, it distorts and corrupts the others. What I mean by that is, what good is a God if, he, if he's all-powerful, but he's not present? Like, he's an all-powerful God, but he's in some distant universe or dimension that has no contact with us anymore well he might as well have no power at all because it doesn't matter right or 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 what good is is a god who's all powerful and all present but he doesn't know what he's doing (laughs) you know it's like or he doesn't know what to do right it'd be like having hulk as as god that you couldn't get rid of and he was always as all powerful you couldn't stop him but he didn't always do the right thing, all right? What good would that be? It wouldn't be any good at all. It'd be horrible, okay? What good would a God be if he knew everything, but he didn't have the power to do anything about it? 
You know, he wouldn't be God. A big supercomputer somewhere. But that, does, that doesn't affect any change. It doesn't give us any hope. So all three of these, these three omnis of God are the core uh, things that make God God. And without them or without all three of them completely, he really isn't God. Uh, uh, he becomes something else. <clears throat> and so we're going to talk about each three and a little bit about how they affect us and how they affect our spiritual growth. The first is omnipotent. And we come across this when God is talking to Abram. Uh, this is the beginning of the story, uh, of the history of the Old Testament people, the Hebrews. It says, when Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to Abram and said to him, I am Almighty God, walk before me and be blameless. I love this because here it is God talking about God. All right? It's, it's, the, it's the attribute that God chose to uh, highlight or to communicate who he was. Right? And we're going to look at some other verses later on about what other people, the psalmist, and they're just as true, uh, if a psalmist declares something about God, but boy, this is really important because he's saying, hey, this is, this is the primary thing you need to know about me. And he's saying this to a very important person, Abram also called Abraham, who is the key figure of the Old Testament from which all of the Hebrew nation uh, comes and, and through whom uh, you know, Jesus eventually came as the Messiah. And so you can't get any more important in the Bible of, of a human than, than Abram. And, and God chose to reveal himself as God Almighty. And the word Almighty is omnipotent, okay? all-powerful. I have all the power. It's actually used 56 times in Scripture, and every time it's used in reference to God. Never is the term almighty used uh, in terms of a person, because there is no almighty person, right? Amen. Only God can have all power. Only God is omnipotent. Uh, and, and so that's one of his key defining characteristics. It's found in the beginning of the story in Genesis. It's found at the end of the story, as we're reading in, in Revelation with John, the apostle, and his revelation of the heavenly realm, and he's in, in heaven, and he hears the singing, the worship chorus of heaven. He says, And I heard, as it were, the voice of a great multitude, as the sound of many waters, and as the sound of mighty thunderings, saying, Alleluia, for the Lord God omnipotent reigns. Okay? And so in, in heaven... Right now and always, there's the, the continual song of worship. And, and one of the things that they're worshiping is the fact that God is omnipotent. And it's loud. So, you know, if you complain about the worship being too loud, we're just trying to get you ready. <laughs> Thankfully, when we get to heaven, we'll have new ears and we'll be able to handle it. <laughs> but that the worship chorus of heaven is declaring the omnipotence. God is all-powerful. And so it's one of the key characteristics to understand who God is. Tozer he wrote a book uh, and a, spoke often about, he was a great speaker. He lived in the late 1800s through 1950 or 60. <clears throat> and uh, if you haven't read his book, you should. It's, it's a fantastic book. Uh, book on the attributes of God. <clears throat> God has power. Since God is also infinite, whatever he has must be without limit. Therefore, God has limitless power. He is omnipotent. So there's a very clear, uh, way, easy way to understand what uh, omnipotence means. It's unlimited power. He's never going to run out. And we must understand that God's power is not derivative. Okay, it's a big word, and it means coming from somewhere else. All right, an easy way to understand this, God never has to eat. Okay? <laughs> so what happens if you don't eat? You get crabby, okay. So God's not going to get cranky because he hasn't had supper. And if you don't eat for a week or two weeks, what happens? Start getting weak and tired, you don't eat for six months. You're dead. Everything in our, really, every creature, every plant, everything about us, we require 
power, we require resources from outside, from somewhere else. So all of our energy, I may be energetic, but my energy is derivative. It comes from somewhere else. The food I eat, you know, trees need sunshine. If they don't have sunshine, they, they'll die. All right? God is not that way. <clears throat> he doesn't need anything to be powerful. And the beauty of this is that that means he never runs out. Okay? You, you know what it means to run out of power when your phone, you know, is down to 1%. And it's red. And then it stops working. <clears throat> All right? It never happens to God. He's always at 100% and he never has to plug in because he is the power from which all other power emanates. All right? And there's nowhere else to get power. All right? Because he has all power because he is omnipotent. All of our power comes from something, but God's power is inherent in himself. Now, he does delegate power. It's important to understand. But not in a way that diminishes himself. He can delegate or relegate or give authority of power to other things or people. But as Tozer says, he gives, but he does not give away. All right? So he delegates. It's still his, but he puts it under the control of some other being or force. For example... God has delegated, when he created the universe, the, the physical universe that we live in, he's delegated a lot of power. <clears throat> All right? The sun has a lot of energy, doesn't it? A lot. And you know what? Our sun isn't even that big of a deal compared to some of these other things in the universe that I keep reading about that people say are out there. I've never seen them. But they're real. I just read they found evidence of two black holes that collided. This is just evidence in the last few weeks. <clears throat> and it caused uh, a, a gravitational wave, which they've never been able to prove, even though Einstein proposed it back in 1913. <laughs> so if this happened, this would be the result. But they never had the equipment to prove it until last, the last couple of weeks. And they found three of them. All right. <clears throat> Can you imagine the energy that was involved that caused gravity to fluctuate throughout the entire universe? Yeah. <laughs> it's like all of a sudden, now if it was magnified, it's so small we don't even feel it, right? But that's be like if everybody floated for a minute and then you can pay it down. <laughs> that's what happened on a microscopic scale. Uh, that's an incredible amount of energy. He, how about the storms, right? Uh, nature has incredible power. Where does that power come from? It's not distinct or separated, in a sense, from God's power. Uh, it's, it's derivative. It came from somewhere. God created all of this. And he, of his power, he created this system that then operates. And so he's delegated power to it. And it's tremendous power. And at times, the power can become destructive. Right? Now listen, we live in a broken world because of sin. When, when, when Adam and Eve sinned and God confronted them, what did he say? Do you remember what he said to them? Did he say, Adam, you're cursed? Did he say, Adam and Eve, you're cursed? No, what did he say? The ground. the ground is cursed because of you. The earth was cursed. The earth became under a curse because of the actions of mankind. So most people think the curse was Adam and Eve. God didn't curse Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve caused a curse to come on the ground. Right? And so the planet, and I would, you can extrapolate from that, the entire creation has come under the curse as a result of the sinful action of mankind. And ultimately, that act will lead to the destruction of the earth. As a result, when Jesus comes back, in one place it says that heavens and earth will melt as with fire. And God is going to create a new earth. 
And that is the consequence of sin. So we live in a world that is broken and, and the power that was delegated has been distorted as a result of sin and the curse that came on it. And it's hard to draw direct connection. You're not, this does not give you license to say a hurricane hit a coast, therefore somebody sinned, and the hurricane was sent because of the sin. That's overly simplistic. But you can't rule that out either because in the Bible, God actually sends plagues and, and disasters sometimes as a direct result, but not always. All right? <clears throat> so that is delegated power that has been corrupted because of sin. Now, God can overrule this. He can insert his will, and that's what we call a miracle. And we've heard testimonies of hurricanes coming and people join together and pray, you know, or we've heard testimonies, uh, and there's testimonies in the Bible, there's a drought, and people pray, and God sends rain, all right? This is a common uh, process of, of, it's actually part of stepping back into the redemption and, and coming back into the place where we stand in right relationship with God appealing uh, for God and becoming stewards of the earth to bring about uh, wholesomeness and, and removing uh, the earth from the effects of the curse by living righteously and, 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 and living in faith. <clears throat> but the, the, the issue that I want to point out is that God has the power to intervene in his delegated power that he's delegated to, to nature and systems and time and gravity and things like that. And that's what we call, that's simply what we call a miracle. Um, it's God. Uh, uh, twisting the knobs, if you will, of, what, of the system he set up. He's also delegated a significant amount of power to mankind. And, and boy, if you think the planet sometimes gets it wrong, we really get it wrong, right? often. And so that has become corrupted as well. And so we see many systems and consequences in the world, in life, that are the abuse of power, yet still power that has been delegated or derives from God's ultimate power. Okay? So what I'm saying here is just because power is corrupted doesn't mean God is not all-powerful. Because Jesus, Jesus speaks to this in John 19 when he's being uh, tried by the government authority, Pontius Pilate, and uh, Pontius Pilate had the, had the authority to crucify him. And he says, don't you understand? I have the power to crucify you or to set you free. And Jesus looked at him. He says, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you. Derivative power. All power is given <clears throat> uh, from above. Therefore, the one who delivered me to you has the greater sin. And so this idea of sin here is that Jesus said, listen, you are operating with power that's given to you and someone else sinned, the one who betrayed is actually going to have, bear more responsibility, but you're going to bear responsibility for your actions. So Jesus is introducing the idea that all power ultimately comes from God, but we will have to give account, there will be judgment for how we use the power and authority that we've been delegated. Does that make sense? All right. That means that God, it's still God's power, and you're going to have to deal with how you've dealt, used the power that God's delegated, and he's going to bring that justice to everyone. Um, Jesus affirms this attribute of God, that he is all-powerful, that there's nothing impossible with him. When he was speaking to his disciples, and he challenged them with something that uh, was impossible. <laughs> he says, but Jesus looked at them and said, with men, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. So we serve a God uh, that is all-powerful. There's nothing that's impossible for God. That does not uh, mean that God doesn't allow things to happen that are against his will. All right? Because he's, his greater will is that he will, in the end, bring justice to all. Uh, and bring about this balance. <clears throat> and so what seems impossible to, how could God ever figure this out? For God, it's, it's, it's actually not that big of a deal. He's like, don't worry, I, I got it covered. <laughs> All right? Uh, and that's something that it's hard for us to, to, to grasp. But understanding that God's power is unlimited and all power that exists stems from him. 
you know, should change the way we, we look at the world, how we react to the world. We'll talk more a little about how that applies a little bit later. So let's talk a bit about God's omnipresence. This is, again, a, a difficult idea to grasp. <clears throat> Generally, we're at one place at one time. Generally. <laughs> Not all the time. <laughs> but this is what the psalmist says about God. I can never escape your spirit. I can never get away from your presence. If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the grave, or another translation, if I go to the pits of hell, uh, you are there. If I ride the wings of the morning, if I dwell by the farthest ocean, in other words, if he could fly and go to the farthest ocean, <clears throat> they didn't have airplanes back then, but that's what he's talking about. <clears throat> Even there, your hand will guide me and your strength will support me. I could ask darkness to hide me and the light around me <clears throat> to become night, but even in darkness, I cannot hide from you. To you, the night shines as bright as day. Isn't that poetic? To you, the night shines as bright as day. You know, it's, God, there's nowhere ever is there a place where God can't see clearly. All right? Darkness and light, they're the same to you. you know, what we think are so a total contrast to God, he's not limited by that. He's not limited by physical space. All right? Uh, we cannot escape him. There's nowhere we can go to get outside uh, of his reach or outside of his presence. All right? He is always present in the sense that, uh, <clears throat> so if, he, uh, if, if he's in one place, He's completely in that place, right? He's with you 100%, but he's also with you 100%. And he's with all 7 billion people on planet Earth 100%. And he's at the farthest point of the known galaxy 100%. And beyond that, 100%. And that's not even a stretch for him. <laughs> <laughs> Do you understand that? No, we don't understand it, but we can believe it. All right? If you can only believe what you understand, you'll be very limited in your beliefs. Okay? <laughs> Who wants to believe in a God they understand? All right? If you understand your God, your God is too small. You know? Because if your God fits in your brain, you're probably worshiping yourself or your own idea. It's an idol. Press on, Cameron. <laughs> Jeremiah, this is great. This is God talking about himself. Am I a God who is only close at hand? Do you think I'm only here? This is what God's saying. Do you think I'm only... He's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do you think I'm only just here? <laughs> no, I'm far away at the same time. I'm close and far away at the same time. Can anyone hide from me in a secret place? Am I not everywhere in all the heavens and earth, says the Lord? So everywhere in all place at all times. 100%. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> Tozer says there's no place beyond him for anything to be. God is our environment as the sea is to the fish and the air to the birds. God is over all things, under all things, outside all, but uh, uh, within, but not enclosed. Without, but not excluded. Above, but not raised up. Below, but not depressed. Holy above, presiding, holy beneath, sustaining, filling. Ha! He fills all things. And so God is everywhere, <clears throat> and there's no place where we can get beyond where God is. Uh, God is present, but he's not a pantheist. Okay? And this is another important under, this thing to understand, an important part of this idea of God's omnipresence. Um, so pantheism, if you're not familiar with that, is the, is, the, the, uh, is the idea that God is everything, or that everything is God. Right? And so different cultures... They worship trees. 
Okay? In Japan, for example, they, they worship the trees. They're, they decorate them and they pray to trees. I've been to trees that they pray to. And, uh, uh, and they're big. They're huge trees. They're beautiful. The trees grow really big there. <coughs> um, and and they, they worship Mount Fuji. It's a god to them. It always has been a god. You know? uh, and, and, and many, uh, many uh, cultures uh, worship things because they believe that the thing is God, or God is in the thing. And they, they actually partly get it right. Okay? Because if God is everywhere, then God is in the tree. It's actually more accurate to say the tree is in God. Because God is not contained in the tree, but the tree is contained in God. All right? So now we don't worship the tree because we just realize it's something that God created to represent, you know, something or uh, to, to part of a system. But, but in one sense, I mean, that's where pantheism is seeing a truth, but it distorts it. Yeah. All right. And God is everywhere, but he's not, we're not, pantheist, we're not pantheists. We don't worship God. God is another very important part, part, point here. God is present but not always manifest. Manifest means made known to the senses. So you may not be able to see him, hear him, taste him, touch him, or feel, no, touch is feel, taste, touch, see, or smell. Sometimes you can, but you may not be able to sense him with any of your senses. He's not manifest, but he's still present. All right? Uh, And this is something that is very true, uh, psalmist cries out in Psalm 10, Why do you stand afar off, O Lord? Why do you hide in times of trouble? Now, if you don't understand how the Bible works, you say, oh, the Bible says God hides in times of trouble. No, the Bible says at times it feels like God is hiding from you in times of trouble. And that is a legitimate biblical feeling. That psalmist really experienced that. Okay? How many have really experienced that? All right? That means you're li- living biblically. Yeah. And a lot of the psalms, one-third of the psalms are psalms of lament. Oh, God, why, why, why? So it's, it's okay to ask questions. Here's another one. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from helping me? And from the words of my groaning, this was quoted by Jesus when he was on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because at that moment, when on the cross, he felt the separation that mankind uh, experiences when we sin. And he'd never felt that, but when he took on the sins of mankind, he felt the separation. But it didn't mean that God wasn't there. God was very present. Okay? He was right there. But Jesus wasn't able to feel him at that moment, and we're often not able to feel him. And I I hate, you know, I I just want to let you know that sometimes that lasts for a minute. Sometimes that lasts for a day. Sometimes it lasts for weeks. Often it lasts for months. And it's not uncommon to have that feeling go on for years. All right? And that doesn't mean that God is any further from you. God is never farther from you than the the distance he was when he felt the closest. Because God doesn't move. He can't move because he's already there. So when we pray, God, come, come, Holy Spirit. It's not like, hey, you're in Portage? Okay, it'll take you 15 minutes to get here. (laughs) God, come. Oh, you're dealing with a problem in India. How long does it take? No. (laughs) We're saying, God, open our senses to the realization that you are already here. There's nothing we can do to get God to come here. Because he's already here. But boy, there is a lot that can be done to make us aware of his presence. Okay? So we're praying for an increase of his manifest presence. And God is not manifest everywhere. All right? It's the glory of, uh, uh, of God uh, uh, to conceal a matter. It's the honor of kings to seek it out. So it's scripture, okay? And so it's the idea of royalty that, that, it, it, that you have to seek out. <clears throat> in order to find him. Uh, from the human perspective, God seems distance, distant, but this is for our benefit, all right? Uh, in, in Jeremiah it says, 
You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. So it's a heart issue. So when, 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 when we can't find God, it's not a God issue that God has to change because God can't change and God's already here. It's a heart issue because we can change and our heart, something has to change in our heart so that we can connect with God. All right, You need to seek me with all your heart. And Jesus says it this way. I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. And the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks it will be opened to you. And he's repeating this because he's emphasizing uh, you know, this is a laborious task. You need to ask, you need to seek, you need to knock, you need to pound on it. right? <clears throat> and then he goes on. He says... With uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? So the, I, the reason we are allowed, and actually God set it up so that there are seasons where we don't feel him, or we don't feel them easily, is to um, teach us and to lead us into seasons of seeking Him, knocking, asking, so that we can have a relationship with Him like a father. Right? Right? He compares it to fatherhood. So if God was just always present, and we could just go up and push a button and get what we feel we need from God, He'd be like this a cosmic vending machine. Right? And that would not produce children. That would produce addicts. Push a button, get the reward. Push a button, get the reward. Push a button, get the reward. That's not a healthy life. God wants children. He wants relationship. He wants your heart changed. So he's got to put you in environments or he's got to allow you to get into places where, where, where you have to seek him. And then you find out, wow, he's a father and he's good and he's with me. He's with me. Thick in whatever circumstance I'm in, he's there. And it, does, it, it totally changes uh, how we see God. It totally changes our relationship with him, and it ultimately will totally change who we are, which is what spiritual growth is all about. All right, the last one is God is omniscient. <clears throat> God is all-knowing. I like this in Psalm 147. It says, Great is our Lord and mighty in power. His understanding is infinite. There's no end to to God's understanding. He has unlimited capacity. He never needs an upgrade. (laughs) He'll never run out of memory like our phones do or our computers do. He has all knowledge. I like this. Uh, Let me explain it a little bit. John, in writing the gospel, introducing Jesus, he was writing primarily to Gentiles who were not familiar with, with the Old Testament, and so he actually begins the Gospel of John, and he, uh, he echoes the, the form of Genesis, the creation story. There's a number of things in, that are parallel. He's kind of playing off. John was a phenomenal author, uh, and so he, his, his Gospel reads differently because he, he, he was more scholarly in that sense. But in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the word was God. Now, the, the, the word, translated the word here, <laughs> is the Greek word logos or lagos, and it means reason. It means understanding. It means purpose. It doesn't mean just a written word. That's scriptura, uh, which is a different Greek word. <clears throat> this means uh, uh, the, the, the meaning behind everything. Now, written words are logos because they're expressed meaning okay um but logos isn't just a written word it's the meaning that the 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 word expresses and all meaning and understanding uh that's what existed in the beginning and the word was with god and the word was god so this idea of god having infinite wisdom is that god is infinite wisdom it's this is an attribute of he he doesn't he doesn't need to find wisdom he is wisdom he knows everything he, uh, all, things that were, all things were made through him, and without him, nothing was made that was made. 
And so every created thing, everything from the tiniest atom and the subatomic particles to the forces that scientists still can't figure out that control those subatomic particles to the, to, to the biggest planets, uh, 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 solar systems and, and, and galaxies, all of that God created. He's, it was just like, hey, let's do this. And boom, he did it. And so he understands how it all works. He really does. <clears throat> he knows how it all fits together. Uh, <clears throat> I am God and there is no other, it says in Isaiah. I am God and there is none like me declaring the end from the beginning and from ancient times uh, things that are not yet done, saying my counsel shall stand and I will do all of my pleasure. Wow, so this means not only does God know everything that exists, but he knew it throughout all time. He knows the end from the beginning. All right? And so time doesn't limit him because time is actually something God created. We live inside time. Time lives inside God. How does that work? I have no idea. All I know is God is not limited by time. Time is meaningless. A day is like a 10,000 years. 10,000 years is like a day to God. All right? It doesn't make any difference. It's the same idea of how God can be here and can be you know, in India at the same time and be on you know, uh, another galaxy at the same time. He's everywhere all at the same time. He's every time at the same time, 100% of the time. God's never late. <laughs> it seems that way to us, maybe. But he, he is, time does not restrict him. Okay, Tozer says it this way, God is omniscient, he possesses perfect knowledge, and therefore has no need to learn. Uh, but it is more. It is to say that God has never learned and cannot learn. So not only does God not need to eat in order to get power, he doesn't need to learn anything. And he's never needed to learn anything because he's always known everything. All right? Because everything comes from him. <clears throat> this is kind of a different way to think of it. Wow. Who has directed the spirit of the Lord, the Bible says in Isaiah? Or, who ha or, or as his counselor has taught him? Uh, with whom did he take counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of justice? Who taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding? These questions are asked rhetorically because the answer is, duh, it's obvious. He's God. Nobody can counsel God. You can't go up and say, God, didn't you, didn't you see this? You see, I saw I was there. I made it. It wouldn't exist if I didn't allow it to. The power that it has, I gave it. <clears throat> all right. So he understands all things uh, uh, because he created all things and there is no, no one that can instruct him. And then uh, this scripture in Malachi says, I am the Lord, I do not change. And the way this applies to God being, having infinite knowledge and wisdom is that if, if, if God had a new idea, even just an idea that he didn't have before, then, then he would have changed. Because an idea is new. Right. Right? So there was a time where he didn't have an idea, and now there's a time where he has an idea. So all of a sudden, God changes. And that violates a whole bunch of Scripture that says God doesn't change. And it violates our understanding of Scripture, uh, uh, understanding of who God is. God doesn't change. There's no shadow of turning in Him. He's, like, he's constant. <laughs> okay? So even in the area of understanding, it's not like God has to figure something out, guys. He's got it down. Now, this is so radically different from the lives we live. Because we have infinitesimal amount of knowledge. Even the smartest person on earth hardly has a clue. And then there's all the rest of us who don't even know we don't have a clue. <laughs> all right? Uh, so you can never add an idea. Nothing can be removed from God. He doesn't change. He has all wisdom. Uh, omniscience of God doesn't equal fatalism. This is very important. Okay, fatalism is the philosophy that everything is predetermined, uh, and so it doesn't matter what's going to happen is going to happen. Christians say, well, whatever God wills, and often that's a misunderstanding of God's 
omniscience, okay? Uh, it, uh, it doesn't matter, doesn't change the world, okay? And we need change, all right? It matters. And this is how God can know everything and not be every, having everything predetermined or fatalism. Foreknowledge does not require forewill, okay? Just because God knows something in advance doesn't mean he willed it to happen, okay? And this is a longer explanation from a philosopher, I think it's well written, and so I'm going to read it. It does not follow, it doesn't make sense, that God's foreknowledge of our future acts causes us to choose those acts any more than my knowledge of your past actions would make me the cause of your acts. And so just because I know something that you did last year doesn't mean I was the cause of you doing it. Okay? But because God is outside time, and he was before, during, and in the future the same, he knows what's happened in his past, which is our future. Are you following me? <laughs> our future is God's, actually, our future is God's present. Right. God's always in the present. Uh, but just keep, I don't want to confuse you too much. <laughs> we, listen, we do, not, we do not do what God foreknows, but rather God foreknows what we will do. That's as simple as that. Okay, it's really easy. Uh, but, you know, people have been arguing about this vehemently. Wars have been fought about this. In other words, God's knowledge is not the cause of our actions. Our actions are the cause of God's foreknowledge. Right? And the reason this is important is because at many places in Scripture, in fact, your salvation depends on you choosing to accept Jesus as your Lord. And all through Scripture, God is calling His people to make a choice. So I believe that those choices are valid. I'm not speaking about predestination directly. I generally don't preach about that because I think it's a bad question. <clears throat> but this truth of God's omniscience not equaling fatalism is extremely important. And if you don't get this right, uh, you'll mess up a lot of other aspects of your life. Because often God puts you in a position where you have to make a choice. And, and, and yes, let God's will be done, and that's why you're supposed to do God's will. And if you don't do God's will, then God's will is not being done, and he will hold you accountable. Right? Does that make sense? <laughs> he powers us, he leads us, he gives us instruction on what to do. But there is a time where we have to do it, and if we don't do it, uh, so foreknowledge does not mean forewill. Tozer says it this way, God knows instantly and effortlessly all matters, all spirits, all beings, all creatures, all laws, all relations, all causes, all thoughts, feelings, desires, secrets, etc., etc. God knows it effortlessly. This is all quote from Tozer. Because God knows all things perfectly, he knows no thing better than any other thing. But all things equally well. He's an expert on everything and everyone. He's, uh, he never discovers anything. Oh, he's never surprised. Oh, I can't believe you dubbed it. No, I knew you were going to do that. God is self-existent and self-contains. I love this. And knows what no creature can ever know himself perfectly. The things of God knoweth no man but the Spirit of God, 1 Corinthians. Only an infinite God can know an infinite God, right? Only the infinite can know the infinite. We're finite. We can't grasp it. But he understands himself perfectly. He never struggles to figure out himself. <laughs> we can't even understand ourselves. <laughs> we have a hard time understanding other people. How can we possibly understand God? We can't, but we can believe him. Right? We can believe him. We can put our trust in him. And in fact, who else would you put your trust in than a person who's all-powerful, always present, and all-knowing? <clears throat> All right, God's omnis and our spiritual growth. Omnipotent. Now, we can't and never will become omnipotent. Thank God. Right? No human being will be, can be omnipotent. <clears throat> But as we get to know God's omnipotence and his power, I believe it makes us stronger. And we can understand that we have access to his unlimited power. 
So whatever circumstance, whatever uh, thing we're going through, we know that standing behind us is our Heavenly Father that's going to stand up for us, is never lacking in power. When we're weak, He's strong. In our weakness, His strength is made perfect, right? That's what Paul said. And so that's, that changes us. That can make us grow. We know that God is present, omnipresent. We're not going to be omnipresent, <clears throat> but we can become more present, all right? <clears throat> I talked about this a few weeks ago about mindfulness and understanding, you know, uh, and being, being fully aware of what's going on right now. And we all need help with that. I certainly do. How many times have you been talking to someone and they're not there? How many times has someone been talking to you and you're not there? You're, you're like, I'm, I'm, I'm sitting down eating lunch. <laughs> I heard you hurry up so we can go, right? But God's not that way. He's always present. And so we can grow in that character by getting to know God. We can increase in our knowledge and understanding. We'll never be omniscient, but we know we have access to the one who is. All right? <clears throat> and so this should produce in us two things, these three attributes. It should produce in us fear, and it should produce in us comfort. First, fear. Uh, and this is Matthew. This is Jesus talking. <clears throat> Jesus said, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. That's the thing that most people get afraid of. Someone pull out a gun. No, I'm not afraid of that. Uh, they cannot touch your soul. Fear only God who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus is saying, listen, there's someone you need to fear. It's the one that you'll need to give account for, account to for all your actions uh, at the day of judgment. <clears throat> so that's the one you need to fear. And it's, there's, a, there's a healthy, proper fear of God uh, and Jesus tells us to do that. Or this way is even more powerful. It's in the book of Hebrews, also in the New Testament. This is, this is speaking to Christians, right? Believers who've been for forgiven of their sin. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of, a, of the living God. All right? And you cannot delete that from your Bible. Okay? It's a scary thing to fall into the hands of a living God. And I think what's really important here is that impersonal powers, just forces, might be manipulated. You know, if we're just dealing with a force, we can probably figure some way out to, to get around some impersonal force. But when there's a living God, a person who's all-powerful, you can't outpower him, all-present, you can't get away from him, and all-knowing, you can't outsmart him. There's no way around that, all right? And there's nothing quite as terrifying as that. And it should bring a, a, a godly fear, and a, both an awe, but also a bit of terror, all right, when you encounter God. <clears throat> but at the same time, we need to understand that this omni-God is our Father, all right? He's all-powerful. We never have to fear someone overpowering him. It's impossible for anything to overpower him. Uh, and even our own failures cannot, cannot limit his plans for us personally. Cannot. Nothing that mankind can do can limit God's ultimate plan. All right? Wow. That balances the fear with tremendous comfort when he's my father. All right? He's all present. We're never alone. Never on our own. We're never alone. When you feel alone, you're feeling alone. But you're not alone. That makes all the difference. <clears throat> and it's, it's, you're never on your own. It's never all up to you. So when you come under the pressure of, man, this is all up to me. How much, how's this going to work? How am I going to make it happen? You just have to stop and go, wait a minute. I have an all-powerful God that's present, that's with me, and it's up to Him. I just need to stay with Him. He's always near. You never have to go somewhere to find Him. He's close. <clears throat> and He's all-knowing. Uh, our secrets are not a secret to Him. All right? He knows every secret. That can be scary. But then when you step back and go, wait a minute, he knew all of those secrets from the beginning. And he still died on the cross for me. 
and he still offered unconditional love and salvation if you only believed. All right? So nothing you can do can, can, dis, can disrupt that plan of salvation as long as you receive the free gift that God has given. As long as you believe that he died on the cross as payment for your sin. You hear that? So you're knowing that changes the way you behave. All right? Because you realize, oh, wait a minute. You know, you don't get overcome with shame and guilt and think God's rejected you because he accepted you in an advance. He accepted you in advance. And then he's provided a way for all those sins to be washed and removed from you in advance. And he's just waiting for you to take advantage of the freedom and the forgiveness that he's already gained for you. When Jesus Christ came down, took upon himself human form, and died on that cross, he took the penalty and payment for all of your sin. Totally. And if you simply, the Bible says, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and that just means, God, I believe you're, you're omniscient, you're omnipotent, everything Cameron said, I believe it. God, you're in control, you're Lord. You are my boss, I surrender. Right? If, you, if you confess that, if you say that out loud, and you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, that he, he isn't dead any longer, he's actually in heaven ruling and reigning, he's going to come back again. If you believe that in your heart, the Bible says that, that's it, you're saved. You qualify. You're no longer uh, an enemy of God. You're now a son or daughter. And so that changes all of these fearful things to become uh, promises that should produce comfort. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father. No one comes to this omnipotent God, this omnipresent God, this omniscient God, except through Jesus Christ. But the promise is you can come and be connected. And so your limits are no longer limits because you're connected. You're with the Father who is unlimited. Can we close with a word of prayer? Father, I just pray, God, that uh, these, these big ideas, these attributes of you would become real and become transformative, Lord, that we would change the way we think, the way we act, the way we feel, Lord, that they would strengthen our spirits and that we would leave this place and meditate on these things and get to know you better so that we can be more like you in Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen. Amen.